0: Our message from God's Word this morning comes from the book of Matthew in the fifth chapter. And we're just going to be looking at three, three short verses together this morning. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Um, if you've got a Bible on your device or a, a book version, um, invite you to join us or you can look on with me on my Bible up on the screens. Matthew five fourteen through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Holy Spirit, would you make your word come alive to us this morning? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear? hearts to believe and follow, and wills to obey in Jesus' name. There are a number of literal cities on hills or mountains around the world. Um, You may be familiar with Denver. It's known as the Mile High City. It sits at about 5,200 feet above sea sea level uh, there in Colorado. Down in Colombia, there's a city that sits atop a mountaintop plateau called Bogota, and it's encircled all around by mountains much higher, 10, 12,000 feet, but then this mountainous plateau in the middle, the city is there, but it itself is, is raised about 8,600 feet above sea level. That's about a time and a half taller than Denver is in Colorado. The city of Rome, Italy, was actually built among seven hills. Um, Italy is known as the city of the seven hills, and the ancient Aurelian Wall there was built around these seven hills to kind of protect the city. We have literal cities around the world that, that were built on hilltops or mountaintops, but we also have cities around the world that are spiritual or figurative cities on a hill. Uh, if you look up Colorado Springs, Colorado, it has huge numbers of charities and nonprofit groups. I don't know if it's the city, the county that it sits in has made its tax laws or whatever, so that it's, it's very hospitable to charities. And so lots of nationwide and even international uh, ministries and nonprofit organizations are are situated in Colorado Springs as their headquarters. Um, likewise, internationally, Geneva over in Switzerland um, near the French border is, is an international hub for nonprofit work, for international ministries, for international evangelism and missions. Geneva, even though it sits on this lakeside, is like a city on a hill in terms of its um, reach and its spiritual impact on the world. And then the city of Jerusalem is, it's both. It's a city that's physically situated on top of a hill, but it's also, of course, for thousands of years, been a spiritual um, city on a hill. The ancient, smallest, oldest version of the city that was established there known as the City of David, is also called Mount Zion. And that's because the, the crest, the tallest part, was uh, where the original city was founded. And when his son Solomon, 3,000 years ago, built a temple for the worship of God, he built it on the tallest point there on Mount Zion. And to this day, that tallest spot is still known as the Temple Mount, the Temple Mountain, the, high, the highest point in Jerusalem. And if you go to Jerusalem, if you approach it from any direction, it's up above you. It's a city on a hill. You're literally looking up at the city, no matter where you come from. Um, some of the lyrics in the Psalms talk about we, we're going to ascend up into Jerusalem. They're being literal. Um, there are scriptures in the New Testament where it talks about how Jesus and the disciples came down from Jerusalem, or they went down from Jerusalem to go to Bethany or the Mount of Olives or the Jordan River or the Galilee, whatever. They, they literally were going downhill when they, le- when they left Jerusalem, because it's like a city on a hill. And so in Matthew 5, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Columbus is my hometown. Um, I've lived here all of my life, except for four years at university and then five years of mission work. Um, And so for many, many years, I've prayed for my city. Um, Whether I was here, whether I was away, I prayed that Columbus would be like a city on a hill. Uh, Diana and I joined Christ Community in 2004, and since that time, we've we've prayed. This has been our prayer, that Christ Community would be like a city upon a hill, that the people here would shine bright, that our lives would be uh, light-giving and life-giving, that people would be attracted to Jesus through us and through the way we live, through what happens in our town, through what happens in our church, this has been my prayer for many years for Christ's community and for Columbus. But can anybody tell me what's ironic about my prayer for Columbus to be like a city on a hill? Any, anybody guess? We are in a valley. And we're not even like on the side of the hill that leads down into the valley. We're like in the deepest, lowest part of this valley that extends all the way up from northeast Georgia all the way down to uh, the Bay of Apalachicola there in the Gulf of Mexico. And and here's where Columbus is. Let me go to this next one. We are right there in the middle of it. And um, so we're nowhere near a hill. I think Pine Mountain is probably the closest hill to us. But our city can be like a city built upon a hill whose light shines out, whose warmth uh, radiates for others to feel and experience. You know, I talked about Colorado Springs earlier. There, To a smaller degree, there is talk about Columbus and all the good things that are happening here in the kingdom. Um, within the Free Methodist Church, our denomination, there's talk around the country about what God is up to at Christ's community down there in Columbus, Georgia. Because God is doing big things, and his light is shining brightly through the people of this church. That we could be like a city built upon a hill I I like to read the scripture literally um, and and just take it at face value upon the first reading so certainly the scriptures and what God has to teach us there are so deep there's there's so much depth and richness for us to experience in God's word and I encourage you anytime you open God's word before you and you're reading it I encourage you to take out your shovel and dig deep and And dig beneath the surface and see what God has to show you there. I don't think we can ever dig far enough that we'll hit the bottom of what God wants to teach us through his word. So dig deep when you read it. But I also, the first time I read a verse or a chapter or something in the Bible, I also like to just imagine, Lord, what are you trying to say to me right here on the surface? What's the most obvious truth you're trying to point out to me? And so when I read this scripture that we're looking at today, Matthew 5, 14 through 16... You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Jesus was a master of taking everyday household objects that people would have been very well acquainted with, things that people would have used every single day. And, um, you know, he he would teach a, a spiritual lesson for them using things that would have been right at their fingertips. And so Jesus says, we don't light our lamps and we put them under a bowl. But Jesus wasn't talking about this kind of lamp with a plug and a nice safe you know, LED light bulb that can't burn your fingers and a cage built around it so that if it falls over. No, Jesus was talking about this kind of a lamp. Does anybody have one of these in their homes? Or maybe you grew up with one in your home? I did. My house had one. Both of my grandparents' houses had one. Every aunt and uncle's house had one. I don't know if it was a southern thing. I mean, electricity's been around a while, right? But for some reason, every house I ever went to as a kid had an oil lamp like that, a kerosene lamp like this in it. And this is the kind of lamp that they would have had in their houses at that time. Uh, A wick that burned a flame and was filled with fuel and maybe had a handle so they could carry around. This is how they saw. Every house would have had one of these. And he says, people don't light a lamp in their house. And then my translation here says, "bowl." But from the Greek, the literal translation in some of your older Bibles, if somebody in here has a King James, it probably says a basket or even a bushel basket. We don't hide our lamps under a bushel basket. The reason it was called a bushel basket is because every house would have had one of these. It was a basket that could carry about two gallons of wheat and it was made of woven wicker like this one. And Jesus said, people don't light a lamp and then put it under a basket in their house. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, Again, just looking at the sheer surface of the scripture. Can anybody tell me why this would be a horrible idea? Fire hazard, what else? The light, it's not giving off any light. I mean, the purpose of a lamp is to light up the space that it's in, right? And as soon as I cover it, the light is covered. It's not helping anybody. And then bad stuff can start to happen. I mean, best case scenario, we snuff out the lamp. You know, it runs out of oxygen, the fire dies, and it goes out. And then the lamp's just purposeless at that point. Worst case scenario, we put a dry basket on top of it. It catches flame. And now no longer is the lamp giving light and warmth to everyone in the house. It's become a destructive force that actually sends everyone running from the house because they don't want to be near it. So he said, we don't put our, la- our light under a lamp or under a basket like that. We put it on its stand and we let it shine out for everyone to see. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good needs and praise your Father who is in heaven. Now, it's interesting to me in this scripture that Jesus says that you are the light, that we are the light of the world. Because there are some other places in scripture where he says that different things are light. So I just want to look at those for a second. So in 1 John chapter 1 says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. In John chapter one, the first few verses it says, um, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him, all things were made and without him, nothing was made that has been made. And verse four in him was life. And that life was the light of of men. So in Jesus, in Jesus's life, his life is the light to humani- humanity. And then in John chapter 8, Jesus just comes right out and says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so it makes me ask, what are we to do with this? How are we to interpret this? If 1 John says that God is light, if John 1 says that the life of Jesus is the light of humanity, if John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and then here in Matthew, he says, you are the light of the world, how are we supposed to interpret that? What does that mean? What could the Lord be saying to us through that? Well, I think he is saying that, that God, who is light, sent his son Jesus whose life brings light to all mankind. He sent his son Jesus into the world to be the light of the world. And now, like Sam mentioned earlier, now that Jesus has ascended up into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes on our behalf, he wants his light to continue to shine out through the world, but he has passed on his authority to us and he has given us the commission to be his light bearers to the world. You and me. There's this amazing interchange to me in John chapter 13 between Jesus and his disciples. I just want to read it to you and tell you about it. It says, It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And then look at verse 3. Just think about what these words are saying, just on the surface. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, now if you've never read this chapter before, if you don't know what's coming up in verse 4 and 5, if you don't know what the rest of the chapter says, I've seen a lot of movies in my life. And when this kind of a statement is made, usually something huge is about to follow, okay? Jesus knew that God had put everything under his power, his dominion, and that he had come from God and that he was returning back to God. So, well, what in the world is he about to do? I'm expecting a big, cha- you know, speech, an explosion, a miracle, an earthquake. I mean, something massive is about to happen prior to, you know, following this, this statement leading it. But look at what follows. Jesus knows that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so it says he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist and he filled a bowl with water and he kneels down at the feet of his disciples and he calls them to him one by one he begins to wash their feet. So this is the posture that Jesus takes. With all authority in heaven and on earth, the posture of washing the feet of his disciples. And he talks them through it, he coaches them through it, he explains what he's doing, and if you read all the way to the end of this chapter, he says, now I want you to go and do the same, very same thing you've just seen me do. He authorizes them to go and be feet washers, just like him. And in Matthew 28, the last three verses of Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore. Now, anytime you're reading God's word and you see a transition word like therefore or because or so or but or since, any of those types of words means what you're about to read is based on what you just read. So, verses 19 and 20 are, are very familiar church verses therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit and so forth but this is based on verse 18 all authority on heaven and earth has been given to jesus therefore go he commissions he authorizes he sends us out to be his light bearers to the world jesus says you are the light of the world he doesn't say you should be the light of the world, you ought to be the light of the world, you can be the light of the world, you should be more of a light to the world. No, he just says you are the light of the world. God is light. The life of Jesus is the light, light of humanity. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and in his authority, he has commissioned us to be his light bearers to the world. And his command to us in verse 16, if you look at the verb that he tells us to do in verse 16, in the same way, let. Let. Y'all say let with me. Let. Let just means allow. Let just means permit. Don't hinder. Don't mask. Don't shield. Don't withhold your light from others. Don't prevent the light of Jesus from shining out from your life. Permit it to shine out from you. If you hide your light under a basket, best case scenario, you, you just snuff out your life and light and it dies. Worst case scenario, you become a bonfire that sends people running from the source of life because they don't want to be anywhere close to it. Let, allow, permit your light to shine out, that they may that people may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. So I want to just make this really personal and practical for us today. So, um, I'm going to have us do something together and, um, I'm going to ask you to do something your mama taught you not to do, but it's okay today. I'm going to ask you to point. Okay. So if you see the light of the world in this room somewhere, if you see the light of the world in this room somewhere, where you point to it? Does anybody see it? The light of the world? Yeah. Sitting all around us. Okay. So point to your neighbor very rudely and say you are the light of the world. <laughs> Good job. Okay. All right, turn to another neighbor, point at him and say you are the light of the world. Good. Okay. Now take that pointing finger and point it this way. Now let's change the phrase a little bit. I am the light of the world. You say that? It's a little harder. Uh, honestly, it's 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 easier to point to somebody else and say, hey, Jesus said you are the light of the world. And it's true, our neighbor is the light of the world. The person sitting next to us is the light of the world if they're following Jesus. But Jesus in this text says you are the light of the world. Not the person sitting next to you, not your neighbor. He's not saying your pastor is the light of the world. Your small group leader is the light of the world. The missionary you support is the light of the world. Now they are. But in this verse, Jesus wants to look at each one of us and say, you are the light. I am the light of the world. So, again, let's bring it home to us today. So I'd love for someone in this section over here, the far right section, somebody over here, tell me, call out like the name of the neighborhood or the area of town that you live in. Somebody tell me that. What's that? Maple Ridge. Okay. Okay you are the light of Maple Ridge All right, someone over here in this section, someone tell me like the name of the business you work for your company, your workplace, just call out the name of it for me what'd you say? Harris County Schools you ma'am are the light to the Harris County School District if we can just take this verse and put it in our context, someone over here in the far right section, tell me the name of the school that you attend, just call out the name of your school faith is that right faith middle school you are the light to faith middle school if we can just take this verse and put it into our lives and think about where we live our home our neighborhood our area of town our workplace the grocery store we shop at the place we go get our car washed whatever it is the school we attend you are the light in that place so i'm going to call out some things and you just raise your hand if this applies to you um, I grew up living in Castlewood, the neighborhood right behind me. Does anybody else here live in Castlewood or near Castlewood? Yeah? You are the light of Castlewood. We've got a couple of big companies in our town. Um, Aflac, Tesis, Synovus. If you work for any of those places, you just raise your hand real quick. You are the light to Aflac. You are the light to Tesis and to, to Synovus. Do we have any middle school students in the house? Any middle schoolers here? Yeah? You are the light to your middle school. Do we have any Columbus State University students here? Anybody go to CSU in the house? You are the light to CSU. You know, this week, um, our city experienced a tragedy, and we lost a loved one who story after story after story after story I hear describes how much of a light W.D. Feeney was to CSU. He was a fixture of the downtown campus of CSU for years and years. And every person I talk to and hear, share about their experiences with him talks about his smile, his generosity, the warmth that you felt when you were in W.D.'s presence. He was a light to CSU. And he will be so terribly and dearly missed. But the thing is, those of you who are connected to Columbus State, you're the next W.D. Feeney's of that university. You are the next people God is calling to be a light, a source of warmth, a source of life, a source of joy, a source of of generosity to the people of CSU, like W.D. was. You are the light of the world. So if you think about all the neighborhoods that we represent, all the areas of town, all the businesses and workplaces we represent, all the schools that we collectively represent here together today, if you think about that in terms of our area, our region, our city, our counties, whatever, the Lord Jesus Christ has many hundreds of lightbearers deployed all over the city and region through us and through you. Because you, I, we, are the light for Columbus, Georgia. You are the light of your school. You are the light of your workplace. You are the light of your neighborhood and your community. You are the light of the world. I want to lead us in one one last activity before we prepare to to close together. Um, And for this, I want to ask you to posture yourself in whatever way allows you to focus your attention best... Um, so, if that's leaning forward on your hands, if that's closing your eyes, if it's looking up, if it's looking at your hands, whatever you need to do to just focus um, your attention. Because I want to invite you to imagine with me. Just to imagine with me for a moment. What if? What if you really were the light of the world? Just what if? Just imagine. What if you really were the light of your neighborhood? What could that mean? What would that look like? What if what Jesus said to us in Matthew 5 was really actually true? What if you really were the light to your workplace? What if Jesus meant what he said, that you are the light to your school, your neighborhood, your business or company? What if his light in that place was you? Meaning, those would be places of darkness if you weren't there. Or those would be places of darkness if you are there, but you are hiding your light. You aren't allowing it to shine out. That your school, your neighborhood, your workplace, without your presence, without the life of Jesus shining through you in your life, those places would remain places of darkness. What if just what if So if your eyes are closed or you're looking down you can look back up again This has been a really fun message for me to prepare because I've thought a lot about you all and who makes up this place and the truth is this is a church filled with light bearers filled with it um I began to think of individuals and and examples of how I know you are bearing light to your community and your workplaces and schools. And I just wrote a few of them down. There were too many to recall, Um, but I just wanna share some of these examples. You'll know who these people are, but I'll keep it anonymous just so no one gets embarrassed. There's a woman in our church who started a lunchtime Bible study at her company. There's another gentleman in our church who leads a weekly Bible study at his company. There's a young mother in our church Who hosts, opens up her home every Friday morning For other young mothers to come And bring their babies and toddlers To have time of fellowship together There's a gentleman in our church Who keeps his Bible at his his desk He works at a cubicle And his company has a break time Every morning And most of his co-workers Go to the vending machine, go outside to smoke a cigarette And he, during his break time He pushes back from his keyboard And he pulls his Bible to himself And he just reads a chapter of scripture 10 minutes, 15 minutes till break time's over, and then he puts it away. People that come by his his cubicle see his Bible sitting there. They come visit him at break time. They see him reading. He's not being showy. He's not being ostentatious or, or, you know, he's not shoving the Bible in anybody's face. He's just reading his own copy of God's Word there at his desk every day. We have a lady in our church who visits the nursing home every week after she gets off work. And she visits the same three or four ladies every single week. She knows their names, she knows their histories, she knows their stories. She sits with them and talks with them and listens with them and laughs with them. And uh, every couple of months, she even gets these ladies together and a couple of her friends and they throw these ladies a tea party there at the nursing home. We have an older married couple in our church who, um, they walk their neighborhood every evening together. They do it to be together and have couple time. They do it for exercise and they get their steps or whatever. I don't have one of those things. But um, they do that. But while they're out there, they are intentional to meet every neighbor they can out in the cul-de-sac. And over time, night after night of going out, they've learned every single neighbor in their, on their street. They know them by name. They're able to talk to them. They're friendly with them. And they're able to pray for them. And they've even actually been able to come and meet a couple of their needs and invite some of those folks to church. Just by walking around their neighborhood in the evenings. We have a lady in our church who works um, for a secular organization, and there's only one other Christian at her organization with her. And so they get together and they pray for each other because it's hard there. But also occasionally they will walk around during their lunch break and just pray over the spaces of their business. They'll just silently pray for their coworkers um, there at their organization. There's a, a young man in our church. I can't remember if he's fifth or sixth grade. Um, but he's been growing his hair out all year long. And this past week or two weeks ago, he had all of his ha- hair cut off together um, so that he could donate that to another child who has cancer so that a wig can be made for that child. He's been growing his hair out for a year for that purpose. We have another little girl in our church. She's in the elementary school. And she and her dad right now are talking to the leaders at their school trying to figure out how they can start a back uh, an after-school Bible club at her school next year. We have a gentleman who's the senior account manager for a a nationwide investment company, a secular company. But every single client he meets with, he gives them biblical stewardship advice. Like straight from God's word this is how you manage the money that God has entrusted to you. And this is how you can grow it. And this is how you can be more generous to his kingdom. He does that with every single client he meets with. And we have a gentleman in our church who, uh, for 25, 30 years, he's worked for another financial institution in town. That's his day job and has been for many decades. But at night, and on the weekends, he's a farmer. And he farms, and he plows, and he plants, and he harvests in his own land. And every year, he gives tons, literally thousands of pounds of food away, produce away, that he's grown in his own garden away to the hungry and the needy in our city. These are all people right here in Christ Community Church. And I could tell literally, I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of more stories like these, because you all, this church is a church filled with light bearers to this community. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and the week following that is Prayer Week. We'll have a Good Friday service um, at church that Friday. The Sunday after that is Easter Sunday. It's a wonderful opportunity to invite friends and family, co workers, and neighbors to church. Um, our missions and outreach uh, team here at church, um, along with our communications team, They've created a few resources for us to help us do that. There are these handy-dandy little door hangers here. They've also made some invitation cards that look like this. These are out at the Live booth, our missions and outreach booth, as you go out the doors. Love for you to pick up some of these and take them with you to hand to friends and neighbors. Um, At the end of the service today, we'll watch a little promo about Easter and what you have to look forward to there. Right now, I want to invite our, our altar prayer ministry team to come forward, um, our communion team to come forward. We're going to share in communion today, our worship team to come out and begin to play. Earlier, I read the scripture about when Jesus took off his outer garment and took the towel and took the water and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Well, later that night, they had dinner together, he and his 12 disciples. And they're sitting around the table and they're eating and they're talking and talking and They're doing what we would all be doing at dinner, just hanging out with friends and being together. And Jesus is teaching them. And at some point in the meal, he just reaches up into the table and he grabs a loaf of bread that would have been sitting there. And he begins to break it apart. And he says, y'all, this bread represents for you my body, which is broken for you. Take this, pass it around. Everyone have a bite. And as often as you do this, remember that I gave my life for you. I allowed my body to be broken for you. And after they did that, he reached forward and he took the the grape juice that would have been sitting there on the table. Every dinner table would have had one of these. Just a common object for them. And he made it special. And he said, from this point forward, this grape juice, this cup, represents a new covenant that my Father is establishing with you today, tonight, Of course, Jesus knew the disciples didn't know in that moment that the next day he was going to be killed, that he was going to spill his blood as the sacrifice for them. And he said, Share this. Share this around the table as often as you can and remember how dearly I love you, how great a price I paid for you. Today, everyone who is here is invited to come forward, to share in what we call communion, to take a piece of bread. To dip it in the juice, to eat it together, and to remember the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf, to remember how deeply and dearly you are loved by Him, and today in particular, to remember that He has given His authority to you to be light bearers to this world and to your community. Our prayer team is here. They'd love to pray with anyone who needs prayer. And as you come, I just want to invite you to, to be mindful of your, your home and your neighborhood. Your business or your workplace, your school that you're connected to. And for many of you, you've you've given those places to God long ago, and you've been regularly and faithfully serving Him in those places. But if there's anyone here who's never dedicated their home to the Lord, who's never said, Lord, my my truck, my cubicle, my office is yours, who's never said, My classroom, my locker, my desk, Lord, I commit it to you and I ask you to help me be a light bearer there. If you've never done that, I would invite you as you come forward and take communion just to turn to the side after you have communion and just kneel here and pray and say, Lord, today, Sunday, April 7th, I dedicate this area of my life to you and pray that you would empower me to be a light bearer in that place. So when you're ready, you can stand, you can come, have communion, have prayer if you like. Lord, we thank you for these elements and we thank you for this time. And we pray that you would meet us in these symbols of bread and juice, the place of the altar, and in the gift of prayer. Thank you, Jesus.